Welcome into Football Nerd the F-Words. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at F-WordsPod. And today, the co-host, of course, as always, for at least a season till he's like, I am out. I am sick of you. I'm sick of this team. It is Mike Herndon, who is part of the Broadway Sports Media Network, who also writes articles for paulkarski.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mike Miracles. I refuse to say. Actually, <laughs> is, if you want to know what his Twitter new Twitter handle is, you got to come to the YouTube page to see it, because I refuse to call you this new Twitter handle is a disgrace. I, you know, I, I had held on, like I'd created Mike miracles way back when I was writing for music city miracles. And that was the, the reason that I had that on there. Um, I haven't been writing for that site for several years now. And so I figured it was time to go ahead and get rid of that thing. Um, so I, I finally made the switch. Uh, Oh, <laughs> so Breaking news. I don't know how long this will happen. So maybe when you hear this on Wednesday, it doesn't really matter. Jared Stillman's Twitter account has been hacked. And <laughs> it has been hacked through, I think, the metaverse. And um, uh, some cryptocurrency people have hacked him. And uh, found they're the founder. They've claimed him the founder of the dollar sign DAI, digital currency. Uh, this is pretty hilarious because I, I think this happened because on Friday I caught his show and he said he he's really against cryptocurrency and he thinks it's a scam. So now he's been hacked by cryptocurrency, big crypto itself. I pretty- like it. I, uh, <laughs> cryptocurrency finally doing something for us. It is. It is hilarious. Uh, not to derail the show, but classic efforts fashion. We've gotten off topic. We are brought to you by football and other efforts is brought to you by Jaspers. And boy, do I have big news for you guys. Massive news about Jaspers. I go to their website today and I'm like, ah, let's look at their specials. Let's see what kind of food they got going on this week and everything. No food specials, but that's okay. Mike, let me tell you what they got on Sunday. Sundays during the games, obviously, but Sunday all day long. Two for one beer specials. That's all that's day good. long. That's good. So this is the perfect place to go watch the Tennessee Titans because now you can drink your sorrows away and black out or brown out if you are a liquor person, and you get two for one beer. So you're going to save a ton of money if you go here compared to other places. So go to Jasper's, watch this terrible team crap itself in the second half. Enjoy two for one beers and they're high quality beers. This isn't like Natty Lights, which you know, if that's your thing, still in your in your thirties, you know that, that's that's okay. It's all right. No bush light. This is craft beer, high quality beer at Jasper's West End. Two for one beers all day Sunday. Head over there, watch the Titans game on all their TVs. You can go play Jenga. You can go play some basketball. They got all kinds of stuff, and they got fabulous food. So head to Jasper's two for one specials. Tell them the football and other efforts sent you and tell them that Mike Miracle sent you because we are not having this discussion again, but I'm not using that Twitter handle because look at this way. You could have kept it as Mike Miracles because you are a miracle to the fans because you have to break down these awful games. <laughs> well, you could, I could have just changed it to Mike Awful. Uh, you could. <laughs> that could have worked as well. 
Oh my gosh. So apparently Jared's Twitter I got I got inside sources. Apparently Jared's Twitter account got hacked because someone called his number and saying they were Twitter verification, got his info, and it's a wrap. Wow. <laughs> wow. And it was God, the cryptocurrency what a, people. <laughs> what an amazing uh what an amazing turn of events here for Titans Media. Oh man, what a what a fantastic what a fantastic development. Uh, I'll, I'll keep you updated throughout the podcast if any more news breaks up. <laughs> so, Mike, the, the Titans escape with a win. I don't know if that's the right word, but they kind of got lucky. Everybody had their moral victory Monday, in my opinion, talking about the season is saved and all this stuff. Oh, this is ridiculous crap. Look, they st- they won. They beat a poorly coached Raiders team. I don't think I've ever seen a Raiders team look this poorly coached. And we're talking about the years of ineptitude of coaches that have come through the Raiders franchise. This was a pretty terrible game plan that they came in with. Um, they didn't really run Devontae Adams on deep routes. They kind of weirdly, and at certain points of the game, gave up on the run game that was working. They, just a they weird thing. Always give up on the run game. They yeah. always give up on the, that's why, like, you know, I know we had a little bit of a discussion before the game last week that, you know, it's like, well, you know, Josh Jacobs being out, does it matter or not? And it's like, yeah, it matters a little bit, but they're not going to commit to the run game either way. Like, it doesn't matter who's out there. They, yeah. they just bail on the run game. They always do. Um, and it was working. The Titans' run defense is a major problem right now. We'll, we'll save that for a little bit later, but, um, it's uh I thought it was a good it's a good win though cuz I mean it, you know look any NFL win is a good win. Um the Titans showed some life. They they showed some things that looked like vintage, you know, 2019, 2020 kind of Titans stuff. Um and you know they they brought out some new wrinkles as well and and I you know there's it's funny having rewatched the game on all 22 now I feel a lot differently about the game than I did in the moment. Um, in a lot of ways, like. So in the moment, how did you feel? Because I, I sitting there in the moment, I'm like, first half, I'm like, oh, this is great. They're obviously going to come out and make me eat my words, you know, if they continue this throughout the whole game. And then they reverted back to the same old Tennessee Titans in the second half. So I was just like, it's kind of a wash for me. So I'm still, I still feel that way, but tell us, in the moment, how you felt, and now how you felt after watching all 22. Yeah, so, like, in the moment, I, I, I mean, overall, I felt like they kind of escaped and, and certainly um, made that more difficult than they needed to. And I, I don't really feel any different about that outlook on it, but I do feel differently about some of my big, big takeaways from the game. Like, I thought the uh, coming out of the game, I was like, wow, the tackles actually played pretty well. Tackles did not play well. It it was funny because you said that on the day and it kind of looked like they did, you know, in the moment. And then I saw the stats and I'm like, well, these guys didn't play that well. They they didn't. Well, they didn't give up a ton of uh, sacks and they were facing good edge rushers and everything. So it was like, oh, they must have played well. They did not play well. Like the Titans. And I know it's it's not. it's not okay. It's not a safe space to say anything nice about Todd Downing. The <laughs> Titans did a wonderful job of protecting those tackles in this game and not completely sacrificing the passing game because they they helped. There was only probably maybe a handful of times all game where either Nick, Nicholas Petit Frere or Dennis Daly were island uh, on an island against 
Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. And I mean, those were few and far between. And look, MPF was really bad, honestly, in most of this game. I, I, I came away from the game initially thinking, oh, he played pretty well because like I didn't hear Max Crosby's name called a ton. I mean, he, he obviously had the one sack. Uh, he had a, a batted ball. He had a couple tackles for loss, that kind of thing. But, you know, it's not like he took over the game. On second watch, he did take over the game. <laughs> uh, the Titans were just able to scheme around it, frankly. So I, I think they did a good job of hurting the Raiders or hurting the Raiders where they could be hurt and protecting their weak spots, which is clearly the offensive tackle positions right now. And I, I thought Downing had a really good game plan. And and honestly, the biggest thing that changed for me coming out of the game, I thought, well, God, they went, they went super conservative, same old Titans in the second half, trying to, you know, ride out a, a lead and and not, attack anymore and i don't really think that's true I, I think the execution just failed them in the second half i mean you had the the first drive they come out they they run the ball then they have a penalty for too many men on the field which puts them in uh second and long right away uh they take uh they have another pass play that goes to derrick henry but there's uh nicholas petit frere is is ineligible downfield so that backs them up to like third and uh uh or second and 20 and then they end up throwing the interception a couple plays later on a route where clearly Robert Woods ran that route too long. Like zero doubt about it in my mind, that interception that Tannehill threw. Woods ran that that route about four or five yards. It looked like he got his steps off. Like he he missed his exit uh on that out route. And uh and that's what ended that's why that that throw ended up looking like it was out of nowhere. Well, and then the throw, I thought. I didn't. I thought he didn't do well going through his reads either on that particular throw because I felt like Burks was streaking open. I mean, just kind of like what he does. So, you know, yeah. I kind of felt like that play, yeah, Tannehill threw an interception, but it feels like it, it was supposed to go to Robert Woods. That's where they've been going all game, right? So that that was kind of like, to me, going into something that was a positive that hasn't been a positive for this team was that, they were determined to use Robert Woods and Derrick Henry, and it was working in the first half. And then in the second half, just miscues all over. Like you said, a little bit of execution, a little bit of predictable play calling. I thought play action, though, usage being as high as it was, helped with the issue of Max Crosby and the pass rush there. That was a positive. And I thought that Derrick Henry is inching closer and closer to what, he was maybe he'll never be truly a, a league leading rusher, but he can at least be the guy that threatens the defense. Yeah. And, and I thought he looked better. He didn't, he still didn't look like he had that, that fifth year that, you know, we're used to seeing him have once he gets to the second level. Um, so I'm not totally sure he's like all the way, all the way back, right. but he looked a lot more like himself in this game than he has the first two. And I thought also his contributions in the passing game obviously were were significant. And I love that the way that I love the way the Titans used him in the passing game because what they asked him to do was basically they would run play action. And this is taking advantage of how teams are now defending the Titans. Like like the Titans when they first got hot offensively, were just killing teams off of play action, running these, you know, glance routes and deep overs, crosses, that that kind of thing, hitting guys over the middle, letting them run after the catch. And they're still doing that. Like they still had several plays 
that, that featured that kind of action in this game. But what teams have started to do is, is they have got their linebackers almost overcompensating. So you'll see linebackers when they see pay, play action and they recognize that it is going to be a pass, they will sprint back. And, and I mean, like they go super deep because they're trying to get into the crossing lanes and, and intercept or be able to, to mess with the windows uh, for those crossers that they like to run. Well, now the Titans kind of counterpunch to that seems to be, well, if you guys do that, we're just going to have Derrick Henry sit down right where your linebackers just left, and we can just dump it off to him, and, and he can pick up you know five to ten yards easily. And they did that three or four times in this game, and it was wildly effective. So I, I'm excited to see that because that is a good way to counteract teams being overly aggressive at dropping their linebackers deep over the middle of the field and you know you start to get those linebackers start to creep back up again you start to open up crossers again so it's a little bit of like that cat and mouse game and i feel like the titans finally are showing some ability to counter what defenses are throwing at them and and derrick henry catching the football and being at least i mean he's never going to be christian mccaffrey or anything like that like that's just not who he is but if he can sit down in a wide open zone and catch a pass from ryan Tannehill throwing it at like you know tailgate you know casual toss distances uh you know that's all they really need him to do and and you know that was a big part of their game i think he had 50 something yards receiving in this game and and that was uh those were some significant plays in the in the grand scheme of things if if you're if you're the fans and if you're the titans themselves how how do you handle derrick henry in the sense that we, we saw today the ti- at Titanstat on Tuesday put out this thing about first half Henry, second half Henry, and all that stuff. Good, good long thread of just raw data. And we know that Derrick Henry's probably never going to be a 2,000-yard rusher at this point. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to, 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 to believe that, and mainly because the Titans are trying to limit his carries. But... What do you think about this idea of offsetting the carries with some receiving? Do you think that that is a positive thing going forward that they'll continue to do? Because technically, you're not having to go through about like three guys and go through and get tackled by three guys. Typically, if you're receiving, you may only get tackled by one. Yeah, and and I I do think they need to keep him involved in the passing game because that is um it's it's something that defenses just don't frankly pay that much attention to with the Titans because they've never really done it before and that could change. But again, like you know, we kind of just talked about if if they do change and all of a sudden they are keyed in on Derrick Henry as a pass catching threat, that's going to open up some other things and give them some other options. So I, I think they got to keep doing it. And frankly, like one of the plays um in the second half, which again the second half the offense just kind of. It was just a, a kind of a grab bag of miscues, honestly. I didn't, I honestly didn't hate the play calling. Um, watching it back on the All-22, I, I thought, um, you know, they had that like third and one, for example, where they gave it to Henry and he just got blown up in the backfield. It was, uh, you know, that one was a terrible miss block by Nicholas Petit Frere. Uh, Henry would have had plenty of room to pick up that first down if he even like gets a decent block on Crosby. But Crosby literally just takes him and throws him on top of a pile uh and then tackles henry for a loss and you, you know you sit there and you go well you should you, obviously they knew they were going to run the ball at the middle with derrick henry well we killed him two two weeks ago right he gave it to chicka conquo on a jet sweep so like it's kind of a damned if you do damned if you don't thing with todd downing right now and and i think you know i don't have any problem with him 
calling that play. Nicholas Petit first got blocked better. Like that's what it comes down to. Um, and then, you know, there was another play to get back to that uh Derrick Henry uh pass catching thing. There was a, a play, uh, it was actually the play where um I think it was a couple plays before that fumble. The Titans go uh to run a screen with Henry. And yes, Ben Jones was a little late getting out and did not necessarily like there was a, a free linebacker, but the linebacker was like eight to ten yards off of Henry. And I'm not sure why Tannehill dirted the ball at Henry's feet rather than just tossing it to him and letting him see if he could make a play because, you know, yeah, he might've gotten tackled for a loss, but at that point you would trade a few yards loss for 40 seconds of, of clock running off. Um, and I, I didn't agree with Tannehill's decision on that. So that there was a few things and who knows if he breaks one tackle, uh, you know, that could have turned into a huge run because there wasn't anyone else over there. It was just one linebacker. Um, and there was a blocker coming, but it, it was, I, there was a lot of just little things in the second half that didn't click. And obviously that doesn't change the result. You know, it's a results based business, but um, I didn't think the Titans really did get that conservative um, in the second half. They just didn't execute quite as well. And, and the tackles are a problem. Like they, they are. Um, I was hoping to be a little bit more optimistic about the offensive line coming out of this game after, after they did, you know, run the ball. Okay. They, uh, they, you know, did only gave it the one sack uh you know all that but they, they were it was not good it, it, they they are overmatched um daily may have been a little bit better than i thought but npf was worse than i thought and um look he, he'll he'll get better he'll have rookie growing pains i'm not here to like piss on the the nicholas petit frere parade or anything like that but um he is a rookie tackle and this is what rookie tackles look like when they face you know all pro edge rushers like mac well, i mac mean Crawford. you can look at evan neal last or on monday night with the giants versus the cowboys i mean yeah. he was getting his his lunch ate i mean yeah. they were just sitting and having a picnic in the backfield yeah demarcus lawrence and micah parsons absolutely destroyed him and he was what a top what was he top five pick top yeah. top 10 where do you go yeah let, let me let me ask you a question there there's a few things about ryan Tanhill floating out there but i don't really want to get into is he keeping them afloat or anything like that? I, I have two questions, and it's something that I've noticed since the start of the year. I don't feel like Tannehill, and maybe he never did, but he just doesn't have zip on the ball. On a He doesn't have really good consistent velocity. But on top of that, and it, it shows, he has he's like got 7% batted throws, which is a t- tied for most in the league which is something that I've also thought was very odd because I don't remember all of his throws getting batted in previous years. What goes into that? Is that just the defense is is now being able to read and time a little bit better that he's been playing? Or is it that the routes or the way he's throwing to the routes is getting these balls batted down? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I felt like his velocity was fine. Like There was a couple throws that I mean, he ripped in there, particularly a couple to Nick Westbrook Akine, who had a really nice game um, and, you know, a limited role. But but his every single catch that he made was absolutely huge in this game. Um, but there was a couple absolute darts to to NWI that I thought showed he still has some some arm strength in there. Um, but the batted ball thing is interesting because I do feel like that's again, that's a part of how teams are defending the Titans now just because of all yeah their propensity to throw over the middle. Everybody knows they want to throw over the middle. Um and I think every week when and you see the Titans doing this in the like practice videos where you show you know the de- defensive linemen jumping up and batting the the medicine balls and all that stuff um to practice getting their hands up and matching the quarterback's hands and, and things like that. I guarantee you other teams are doing that the week they play the Titans because 
and you saw it a couple times, like Max Crosby, a couple times he, he knew he wasn't going to be able to get home on his pass rush. And he just kind of slid over as close to the middle as he could and just looked to jump and get his, uh, you know, huge wingspan up in the the passing lanes. And he was able to tip at least one, if not two. Um, so that, that is, I think part of just how teams are defending the Titans now. And, um, could be a little bit too, of just when you're having to use extra bodies and protection, there's just more congestion. There's less, there's less clear throwing lanes to work with. And Tannehill's not a short guy. And it's not like he's a, it's a Kyler Murray situation where he just can't, you know, get the ball up over. Can't ride um, roller coasters. That's right. Uh, it, it is, I think just a, a function of how teams. I just, I just thought that was interesting. Cause I brought it, it up is. on Sunday uh, when we were watching the game, I brought it up in the chat. It's like, it just feels like he's got more batted balls this year than he has almost since I've been watching Tannehill throw here in Tennessee, it just feels like it, there's been two or three almost every game. And uh, it's just really prevalent this, these first few weeks. So that was interesting. The, the defense is a positive off season positive that has turned into a regular season negative. Now I do want to talk about one person that's, or really two Rashad Weaver, Danico Autry. Yes. As I think that they ha- have really tried their best to make sure that the Titans pass rush doesn't miss a beat. I think what I, I get that Rashad Weaver's probably playing a lot more than what he expected. That's good for him. Get him in shape, you know, whatever. He get that cardio bud. And and he's he's get he's got three sacks through three games, which is I think I mean, when you talk about it, that's if you get a sack a game or average a sack a game, that's 17 sacks. That's that's the most that a Titans player has had in forever, I feel like. Maybe yeah, it's like Javon Curse or something. Yeah, he'd he'd go to the Pro Bowl if he kept up this rate. Yeah. And and that's and that's great, right? I mean, you may not have multi-sack games, you may only be like one sack here and there, but in in all honesty, that's you're getting more out of Rashad Weaver because you have to, and he's answering the call. Yeah, I thought Weaver played well. Um the, the Teams are giving a ton, and I, I highlighted that that sack that Weaver made. Teams are giving a ton of attention to Jeffy Simmons right now, and, and Simmons's presence actually made that sack for Weaver, in my opinion. Because if you watch the that rush, and uh, there's it's up on Twitter, um, I I retweeted it, and uh, it, I think it was uh, No Flags Film that had it up. Uh, so go find that. But if you watch that clip. The right guard is setting against Jeffrey Simmons, who is uh, lined up in a you know kind of a wide three technique actually, and then Rashad Weaver is is in a wide nine outside of the tackle. So at the snap, the right tackle is one on one with Weaver. He's got no help, no chip, no tight end, no you know running back to that side, nothing. He knows he's one on one against Weaver, but despite that, he starts the play actually putting an inside hand over on Jeffrey Simmons to try to help the right guard, which keeps him tied to that guard and makes that corner very short for Weaver to work around. And Weaver ends up getting a nice uh, little uh, swipe bend kind of combo and, and flattens out and gets the quarterback. It was a, it was a great rush by Weaver, but it's really made possible by the fact that Simmons is drawing attention of the right tackle and keeping him from widening uh, and really going to meet Weaver out on the corner. So it is, um, I, I think that's part of what's going on is Simmons is getting a superstar treatment from opposing offensive lines. And Autry and, and Weaver are playing well and taking advantage of some of that. 
The problem that I've got with this defensive front right now is they're slow. They're very, very slow. And you see it when they do get pressure in the pocket. And, and this is one of those things. And this is something I feel like really crystallized for me last season when the Titans had their success as a pass rush unit, that it really is a unit. Like it, it, they hunt in a pack and Landry may not be, you know, Miles Garrett or, you know, Joey Bosa or, or whatever, one of these premier pass rushers, but he's very, very good at staying around the football and then cleaning up when, you know, a, a guy like Derek Carr, who's got marginal athletic ability, goes to try to escape. Harold Landry would usually chase him down and be able to, you know, bring him down for the sack, even if it was someone else that generated the initial pressure. So I think that's what they're missing right now. And look, Bud Dupree is the same way. Bud Dupree is that same type of player. Um, they desperately need Bud Dupree back. And they've got a, they frankly, they can't afford a, an injury to any of Autry Simmons or Bud Dupree, period. Like, cannot lose any of those guys long term. Um, you know, they were able to obviously win this game without without Bud, but it, those guys are critical to what they're trying to do. And and you see it in the you see it in the run game too. Like, how many times were the Raiders able to get the corner against these edge defenders? Because the edge defenders just can't disengage from blocks and get out with any sort of speed. Uh, to be able to make a tackle and set the edge. So yeah, the, Derek Tuska was supposed to provide that speed, and he, he got washed out. I mean, he. Yeah. I guess the the point of this defense is right now is, you know, I I made a comment about oh well they cut another they cut a I like how the Titans cut a loser to sign a loser, and because that means nothing changed and it's just some you know sense of calm and comfortable that you get knowing that things aren't going to change and easton he get he jumps in the replies and goes something about back end rosters i don't remember what he said but he's acting like these guys won't play well Derek tuska because of injuries the state of this roster these guys play terrence mitchell was picked up off the street played 48 snaps trey avery played a ton of snaps as an undrafted free agent and then you have tuska getting 18 snaps with Wyatt Ray who they picked up they're 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 basically taking up all of Harold Landry snaps when you add them together these guys play so it it's I don't think that uh the was Mario Edwards is who they picked up yeah I don't expect anything from Mario Edwards and I'm fine with that it's just that you know to say that these guys aren't gonna play you're not watching the game because these guys get snaps because of injuries. If Harold Landry was healthy and they were doing these moves, who gives a shit, right? Like nobody's going to give flying fuck that they cut Derek Tuska and picked up Mario Edwards because they have everybody healthy. But in the state of the roster is right now, these players matter because what this team has proven, whether it's the right approach or wrong approach, they are going to put this guy in and they're going to, they're going to expect him to make plays. And if they don't, your team is going to be on the losing end of some runs and of some passes. Yeah, I, I think the the Titans are kind of in a bad situation. Yeah. I mean, look, you you were without. They're doing the best they can, sort of. Is uh, don't don't get me wrong. They're kind of doing the best that they can, but they're really just like you said it on the thing. John Robinson has uh, it must have his filter for the waiver wire set to only Steelers players. I, I just think maybe branch out from Patriots and Steelers players and see what's out there. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice. I, look, I, I don't think there's a, a secret yeah. superstar, you know, on, on someone's practice squad or waiver wire or whatever. Um, look, 
I would have loved for them to hang on to David and any or, uh, or tack McKinley. I, you know, I don't know. I would love to know what the actual details of tack leaving was. If that was his decision, if they offered him a spot on the 53, at the same time that the Rams did, and he just chose the Rams um, because that's entirely possible. Um, but they need, they need some, some better help. And I, I thought, you know, McKinley would have been better help. I thought an any would have been better help. Um, I'm shocked that they chose uh, Tuska over, uh, and any at this point, because I mean, you know, Tuska hadn't really done anything. He'd been okay, I guess, for the Steelers uh, in like a special teams role mainly. But uh, and then he had at least flashed in preseason and shown you something. Um, so I- I'm surprised they kind of let him get out the door in that situation. But either way, any team, any position in the NFL, you lose three of your top four guys to injury, you're going to be playing some scrubs. Like there, right. there's no, not a team that's sitting there rolling in another, you know, it's this in, you know, Alabama where, you know, you have four injured guys and they bring in, you know, the, the guy that was a top 50 recruit. Um, he was just behind the other guys that were top 10 recruits, you know, like this isn't, that's not how the rosters work in the NFL and the Titans being without Landry Dupree and Adaney all at the same time sucks. It, also because those are easily <laughs> your three most athletic edge rushers. Right. Like, those are all the same type of guy. And and now you, you know, Weaver is what he is. Like he's a good, he's a good player. He's a good piece, but he is slow. Um, he is a slow dude. He does not have the foot speed um, that any of those other guys do. He, and that hurts him as a, as an edge defender. And also, you know, just his ability to close in the pocket and things like that. So I, yeah, I, they desperately need Dupree, and frankly, they need a, a Danny too. Um, and a Denny's not even being, or a Denny, a Ninny is not even being used by the Pittsburgh Steelers, by the way. At least, you know, Tack McKinley went in and played seven pass rush snaps for the LA Rams. He didn't do much. He got a nice little grade, but he didn't do much. But you look at David Aninny, he hasn't even taken a snap for him. Uh, like, those, I, I don't understand what happened there that he thought that he was getting a better situation over there at the Pittsburgh Steelers when. He should have been over here, but let me say something. This is going to go into our next our next thing about this team and the weird snap counts for rookies. So maybe he didn't think that he was going to see the snaps because he's looking at Chico Konkwu and he's looking at Caleb Farley going, well, shit, if these guys can't find snaps, well, how are they going to find snaps for me? But before we get into that, Mike, I just want to take a commercial break, a station break. And let you tell the people why they should become a Broadway Insider and use code annual to get $49.99 a month and become Broadway Insider because the Mike Herndon show with new graphics and everything is is there and ready for you. You and Easton are putting on a great production on this on this show. It's for insiders only. You guys do little segments, little games, but you are basically taking your written content that you are known for that you slaved over and putting it in an audio form for the people so people obviously can learn something tell them all about the mike herndon show yeah absolutely so uh it is it is the idea is kind of that it is the old all 22s um just in verbal form which you know frankly uh takes me a lot less time uh to do than than putting together a whole you know, 10,000 word written dissertation on uh, with, with game clips and everything on on whatever the Titans did the previous week. Uh, so it is it is uh, the same content, just in a different format. 
but yeah, that, I'll be getting into a lot of the stuff that, that I saw X's and O's wise. Um, and, and, you know, where, where the Titans failed, where they succeeded, what they could do, what they can't do, um, you know, in this week's episode. And, and I think it's going to be an interesting show this week, just because they did show some different things, which we already touched on a little bit here, but we'll get into a little bit more detail on that show. Um, and then my goal is to have, uh, the Twitter account for the show, which is, um, at Mike Herndon show. Um, we'll have, I'll tweet out some, uh, threads with, with the video clips that kind of go with some of the plays that we're going to specifically talk about. So follow on there as well. And that'll be given, uh, that'll be tweeting out the links to the show and everything like that as well. So, um, yeah, give that a follow and, uh, and listen to the Mike Herndon show on uh, Friday morning. Okay. Mike snap counts. We're talking Chig and we're talking Caleb Farley. One offense player, one defense player. I am so confused about what this team, what this team needs to see out of these players over players like, uh, I mean, when you have Kyle Phillips out, great time to play Chig Okonkwu. When you have, you know, struggling to find a three cornerback rotation, you go to your number one. Uh, cornerback or go to your number round, first round draft pick. Easy for me to say. First round draft pick, Caleb Farley, who is 6'2 and match him up on a 6'4 wide receiver instead of letting a 5'11 loser you just signed off a practice of a practice squad on Wednesday on a short week be on an island with this guy. And, and the, he's physically outmatched in both athleticism and physical attributes. And there's no way. I just, I got. We're going to get into this, and this is gonna, this is not me trying to convince you of of that I'm right or wrong. So I really don't know what is going on in the Titans' head. So this is like me doing discovery. I'm investigating this murder of Caleb Farley's career and trying to figure out what went wrong, what's the motive by the Titans and all this stuff, because I don't know. Like, I spent the majority of the time talking with Braden on Monday on a football show, which is 1 p.m. Central Standard Time when we were live from the pharmacy. I, I we, we couldn't figure out why. Because how can you sit there and say it's about trust and execution and knowing the playbook, but then put a guy that doesn't know your playbook and put him out there on an island after four days of trying to learn your playbook? So that, to me, just feels like it's a load of crap. And then I go and look at Christian Fulton's stats today. And I go and look at Jeffrey Okuda's stats over their first year. And I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe there's hope that Caleb Farley is just, that they, they're working through something with him mentally and emotionally outside of what the playbook entails. So I ask you, Mike, do you want to go with Chig first or Caleb Farley first? Um, Let's go with Chig first because I think Farley is a more – in-depth discussion like i'll say this for chig i I would like to see them get him the ball more because frankly i think he's good with the ball in his hands um and i think the way the titans used johnny smith when he was a rookie back in what was it 2017 it would have been um was really smart they they got him on some tight end screens they let him uh catch the ball in the flat sometimes kind of be the the third uh, check down read on on some like three level concepts and things like that. Just any opportunity to get him the ball with the ability to run after the catch. And 
you know, I, I'm not totally sure if Chig will be as good after the catch as Janu was. Janu was pretty uh, special in that regard, excuse me. Um, but it, Chig, that was one of his strengths on uh, on tape at Maryland, and I think that's something that I would like to see them do more. But, I mean, they still they need to find a way to get the ball to Traylon Burks' hands. They need to find a way to get the ball into, like, Robert Woods uh, showing some major flashes these last couple weeks of, of being, like, back to being the guy that he was with the Rams uh, is very positive, and they need to continue to feed that. But there's got to be room in this offense for Chigakonkwa to get two or three touches a game. Like, I, I'm not saying he needs to be a huge focal point of the offense, but more than what he has been um, – because frankly, I mean, we heard all the buzz all throughout training camp of hey, right. getting all these touchdowns. He's you know being he's super effective. He's catching the ball all the time. He's got great hands. And they've only given him the ball twice, right? Have they? Did he get targeted at all in the uh, Bills game? I don't think so. I can't remember any uh, targets for him. So it, it's it, it hasn't been much. Um, yeah, he's got. Yeah, he's got one target yeah. officially. One target, and that and was and and that was the first down catch, and then he also got the handoff. I, I this is this is this ties into the Caleb Farley thing with me because we 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 hear one thing, but we see something else in action from this staff. So we hear that with Caleb Farley, it's essentially he can't be trusted. You know, he kind of had a, a, you know, a lukewarm average camp with a lot of ups and downs, and he has ups and downs in the game. But all you heard all offseason is that, yeah, Chig's going to have to work on his blocking, but he's explosive. He's making plays. He's getting touchdowns. He's earned the trust of Ryan Tannehill, which to me is the most important person to earn your trust with if you're trying to be on offense. And so, like, the, these two things don't make sense. It doesn't jive with me. So I don't understand why, with Chig's athleticism, that he only played nine snaps. That's ridiculous. And to only have one target? And and so if you're playing nine snaps and you're trying to maximize those snaps, you know, I'm looking at it right here uh, on PFF. And so those nine snaps, five of them were for run blocking. And four of them were for him going out and doing a route. That's not enough route running for a guy like Chigakonko in my mind. I agree. And then I, I know this will really, uh, uh, you'll really like this. Kevin Rader out snapped him uh, 15 to yeah. nine. I even they forgot he was off. on the team. When I read oh. it, I was like, oh, I forgot they signed this guy and he's, you know, getting all these snaps. Fresh off the Steelers practice squad as well. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, let me ask I you a question. Just real quick, because this would have been the perfect opportunity to showcase Chickaconquo with no Kyle Phillips. You could use him to mitigate some of that. Instead, it's Cody Hollister. It's, you know, it's, you know, Jeff Swaim. It's, you know, Kevin Rader. It's these guys. I, I don't understand if Jeff Swaim's going out for a route, why can't in that instance Chig chip and go out for a route? Yeah, it, and that's the thing. I, I kind of I, – I always figured we would see a good amount of Swaim and Hooper together in, in you know, 12 personnel just because Swaim is is their best blocking tight end, and I know he's which not means, a great Which blocker. means none of them are good, by the way. Right, it, it does. <laughs> but and, and to be fair, like – I think most NFL tight ends at this point are pretty bad blockers because 
you just it's not something that like gets developed very well to me um it so i think i think swaim is the best of the bad blocking titans uh tight ends so i can get swaim getting uh getting a good amount of snaps but i figured we'd see swaim and hooper uh for some early down 12 personnel stuff but then i thought we'd see some hooper chig uh snaps as well where you get two guys who are you know both not really you know great run blockers i I think they're subpar overall run blockers but they're at least bigger bodies and see if the defense will match up with uh with those guys being on the field as as tight ends and give you some advantages in the passing game because I, i think both chig and hooper can beat you know your average linebacker in in man coverage and maybe maybe they need chig to prove it uh, a little bit more than than what he has to this point but i yeah hooper hooper and chig snaps where they're together on the field i, I feel like is something that this team needs to find at some point and use because that is clearly the most talented uh pass catching set of tight ends that you could have on the field together and and if they're at least credible uh blockers which i, I don't think either one of those are terrible run blockers uh they're not Ferkser, uh for example but um get them on the field see see if you can get some matchups with those guys because they're both good dynamic pass catching type tight end so I, i'd like to see a little bit more of that combination and you know i don't mind the swaim snaps i really don't and raider frankly was really i, I thought he was pretty impressive as a blocker um oh don't this start game. this dude don't do this to me mike don't, don't, don't fucking he's, don't fucking take me down this road he's he's gonna play more next week i'd almost bet it oh um, my god because uh, yeah, he was pretty good. Uh, I can't believe you did that to me. Listen, <laughs> if if you need another lumbering white tight end, yeah. the Titans are going to find one. Hey, you, you're available, right? I mean, I on am, Sundays you can go out there and do it. Mike, this this Caleb Farley thing's just got me all confused because I I I get and I put out in the tweet. It doesn't matter to me whether he can't be worse than what Terrence Mitchell was. Now, I'm not saying that he's great, and I'm not saying that he's he could even be better than Terrence Mitchell. He may be the same, but even if he's the same as Terrence Mitchell and he allowed the same plays and the same amount of yards, isn't getting the snaps important for this for this kid? I don't understand because I look at Christian Fulton, who wasn't very good his first year and his first seven games. And if you take his snaps and you take uh, Caleb Farley's snaps so far through three games and you kind of extrapolated all the stats, did all that shit, all the calculations and stuff, they're pretty much on the same path of a, a, a starting career because really this is injuries and everything. This is really Caleb Farley's start to his career. And I look at Jeffrey Akuda, who struggled with injuries his first year, and then missed all of last last season after one one uh the first week and he was awful when he played. I mean, you're talking about a guy who played like, I think 8 or 9 games and was on pace to allow 1200 to 1300 yards. So, and Farley's not as bad as that. So, I don't understand why they're they're forcing Caleb Farley to sit on the sidelines in fear 
of messing something up. When you have a guy that is messing up way worse than anything that Caleb Farley's done in one game. Yeah, I mean, I think it's because they mess up in different ways. Like Terrence Mitchell was really, really atrocious in this game, like really bad. But he was not out of position is the thing. And and I think that may be uh, something that they steer like too extreme uh, on in that Farley, because he's had a few instances that I've noticed um, in, in, in the first two games of busted coverages obviously uh the one that stands out the most is that that bills play where stefan diggs they were in man-to-man and for some reason he just left stefan diggs and covered the flat which the linebacker already had the flat um and he was just kind of standing there in the middle of nowhere and diggs was running around wide open in the end zone eventually catches the touchdown pass who was the other defender around. that was back there because there was another defender back there behind caleb farley over to the if you're looking at the tv screen looking over to the right uh i'm not sure because diggs started at the left on that play yeah. and then ended up all the way back to the like in middle almost like to the right side of the field and farley just didn't run with him and, right and I, you know i don't know if that was you know, it's, it's sure it's possible that maybe they were supposed to pass that off somehow or whatever, but. Well, I think he was on, playing the Isaiah because usually Isaiah McKenzie gets that, that ball in that particular instance. And for whatever right. reason, uh, I mean, Josh Allen made a tremendous throw to Stefan Diggs who made it easy for him because he's wide open. So I think that he kind of like bit a little too hard on a play that they had saw be run before. Yeah. But. I, I get what you're saying. He didn't cover his, he left Stefan Diggs, who is his man wide open. Yeah. And, and I, in the other instance that I know he busted a coverage on was they were running quarters against the giants in week one. Uh, and there was a vertical uh, from the number one receiver, which, you know, would be the, the guy closest, closest to the sidelines. And there was a vertical that ran on on his side of the field, and he didn't run with it. He stopped and tried. Uh, I don't know what he was trying to do. If he if he he looked like he was just trying to pass it off or something like that, or or you know trying to read the quarterback and maybe jump down on a route, but he passes it off. Kevin Byard sees him pass it off and takes off after the guy because I mean I think it was Sterling Shepard. Maybe I, I'm not totally sure on that, but. Guy was run wide open uh, down the field, and if Daniel Jones had seen him, it would have been an easy touchdown. Um, but what ended up happening was because Bayard had to run out and try to cover this vertical route that Farley let go, Jones was able to convert. A, it was a third down. Was able to convert a third down on this uh, this crossing pattern, which was right into the area where Bayard vacated uh, to go chase down. Farley's man so it's kind of like a compounding error but it still resulted in a first down conversion and could have resulted in a huge touchdown so I think those instances continually popping up and I'm assuming those are happening in practices as well because it if they weren't like I, I know it's not always completely fair to ascribe common sense to NFL coaching staffs and NFL decision making because sometimes they just aren't like sometimes they're just bad at their job or there's something else going on or or whatever but for this coaching staff, I find it hard to believe that they're just not playing him for no reason. It has to be that they just don't, they feel like he's more of a liability than he is a help um, right now. And and it's their job to make that better and to fix it uh, as well as his. Like 
Farley needs to take some personal accountability on that as well. And, but that's the only thing I can figure is that they think, look, this guy, he's playing out of position. He's not, you know, doing what we're asking him to do. And as a coach, you know, I know that their mindset is give me the guy that's going to be in the right place and actually compete. And, you know, maybe he not, maybe he's not as talented, but we're at least going to make it hard on them or make them make a play rather than just give them things. Uh, and I'm sure that's what they're thinking with this Terrence Mitchell thing, which look Farley maybe would have been better in, in that game. Like maybe he doesn't have the mental gaps and he would have certainly been more competitive uh, covering um, Mac Hollins and, and the other Raiders receivers that just had a field day on Mitchell. But um, I, that's the only thing I can think. That's that's the only only explanation that makes sense to me is that he's busting these coverages in the games and he's also doing it in practice and they're just fucking tired of it. Where I, I guess I let's let's start with that. The fact that, you know, yeah, Mitchell's in the right spot, but it didn't really fucking matter. Um, is that enough for him to get the, the start? Because you saw Trey Avery get all those snaps and he continually got beat. I, like, I guess here's here's a better question. This is this is the better question. At what point in the game do you look at these guys, Trey Avery, and you look at um, Mitchell, and you say, okay, these guys aren't any better than Caleb Farley. In fact, they may be worse. What, let's put in Caleb Farley at halftime. Yeah, I mean, it's a valid question. And, like, Mitchell was getting picked on from the start. Like, it, it happened right away. The, the Raiders were going after him. Um, obviously Christian Fulton being on, on the, on the other side, why wouldn't they? Um, especially when they had, and, uh, and I'll be honest, Christian Fulton and Roger McCurry didn't have their best games at all either. They, they didn't have great games, but yeah. I thought they played well overall. I mean, the, yeah. When you got Terrence Mitchell, everything looks a little bit better, but, the, but I mean, one, I, I think they did look good. I just don't think they had their best games. So it was all Terrence Mitchell is what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think Terrence Mitchell was awful. Um, and yeah, they went after him right away. And I, I don't know. I, I, I would have preferred they try Farley at some point in this game because he could not have been worse. Like I just really couldn't have been. Um, but I don't know. It's, that's the only explanation I can understand is if they're just so worried that he just doesn't understand the game plan, doesn't understand what they're trying to do. And they just, feel like they can't put him out there well who whose fault is that because i can't uh, that the reason i ask is because i kind of go and know that the player has to go out there and execute what he's told to do right but i also know that look i'm a pretty damn good chef or i wouldn't say chef i guess but i'm a pretty damn good cook i can i can pretty much execute almost any recipe in in you give it to me but there are certain recipes that will give me trouble because they're a little bit out of my my range of expertise, and it may take me two or three times, maybe four or five times, to perfect this particular recipe and to also remember everything in it. I so I I kind of look at the recipe book or cookbook and a playbook and think, you know, this guy doesn't have a lot of experience at the this position. He is he's not picking up supposedly what they want him to do. But we also know that this team kind of gets into this little groove where it's like, okay, well, 
if you're not kept, if you're not up here with us up on our level, then we really don't have time to, you know, get you ready and teach you everything, which I know it's next man up and all this stuff, but at some point, don't you as a coach and don't you as the GM want this kid to develop and have to take, especially with injuries, have to take a little bit of extra time and maybe put a little bit of extra attention and focus to get him ready. I know it's on him to still prop himself up and maybe that's what they're waiting for. But at some point, some people just aren't built like that. I I, I just, I don't know the answer, but I, I'm just looking to hear what you feel about how much of this is on John Robinson and how much of this is on the staff outside of what we know is a part of it is already Caleb Farley's fault. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm putting, if I'm assigning blame on this, I, I'm mo- giving the lion's share, probably 90% of it to Farley and or John Robinson, because yeah. look, Roger McCreary was given hundred percent snap rate right away. Like straight out of straight out of school as a rookie picked it up right away. So it, to me, the coaching staff has prepared at least one guy in very little amount of time to be very effective at his job because McCreary's been good. We haven't seen the blown coverages with him. You know, sure he's given up a few catches here and there. He's not you know locked down or anything like that just yet, but he's been good by and large uh, so far. So to me, you know, if they're developing him well, if they they've developed Christian Fulton very well over the last two years. Um, to me, that says, look, it's on Farley and or the guy who picked Farley um, that to that they have not put themselves in the right position to this point. And everything you hear about Farley coming out of Titans world is that they love him. They think he's got the right attitude. He's always said the right things in to the media and in press conferences and things like that. But I just think that. There's something that's not clicking yet, and whether that has to do possibly with him not fully trusting his knee and that being a part of whatever's going on or him not fully picking up in the playbook. Like the the Titans run defensively one of the more complicated schemes in the NFL, in my opinion. Um, So it's not the easiest uh, to pick up. And that's also part of why I think they don't want to dumb it down for any one guy because that's that's a part of what they do that has made them that made them really successful last year at least was the fact that they are very multiple in the way that they can play coverage and the way that they can disguise things and and if you're not like you said if you're not up there on their level they can't use you because you're you're holding them back from being able to do what they want to do at this point now I think Terrence Mitchell probably doesn't have all the nuance down to their scheme right. after three days either. So that, that probably isn't a part of that here with this specific game. But Farley, I I mean, it's gotta be it's gotta be either he's just not physically there coming back from the ACL, or he just doesn't have the playbook down, or he just, you know, mentally is struggling to handle everything that they're throwing at him. Um, or maybe it's a combination of the two. I mean, that's certainly within the realm of possibility, but at some point I, you know, it seems like they've worked with them. They've tried and it, it's not clicking yet. I don't think the doors close and, and he'll certainly get more opportunities as the year goes on, but it's, uh, but, once well, Molden's back. Well, that's what I'm saying, but will he get more opportunities? Well, because 
It's it's I and I asked this question not because I want to see anybody injured or anything, but it seems like the only way he's going to get opportunities is if like two or three people get injured at this point. Because the only reason he went into the game at all is because Christian Fulton had a cramp, and then when you bring back Elijah Molden, and then uh, Ugo Amadi will eventually you know be fully healthy. I, I mean that's. That's a lot of people to try to overcome that this staff obviously loves. And I and I go to this quote today about Christian from Christian Fulton. I'm assuming it's from today, but this is from Sam Phelan. Uh, this was uh, tweeted out on Tuesday at 11.05 a.m., Sam Phelan of A to Z. Titans Christian Fulton says, not getting reps in games can definitely kill a defensive back's confidence. This is the NFL. Everybody comes into the league confident in their abilities, but once you don't get those reps out there, you can lose confidence in yourself. That was the quote from Christian Fulton. I don't see a path outside of doing consistent work in practice, which practice isn't everything in the regular season that translates to games that this team likes to think it is, because we've seen a lot of people who practice great within a week and then shit the bed on, on game day when the lights come up. So how does he get snaps? Because that's what everybody's clinging to, right? At, at this point, you shouldn't put Terrence Mitchell out there because Caleb Farley needs the snaps, and he can't be any worse than Terrence Mitchell, especially if Terrence Mitchell's only prerogative is to cover Matt Collins while we take everybody else out. Caleb Farley should be able to do that. But this team doesn't think so. So if you can't get in over Terrence Mitchell, if you can only get into a game because of a cramp, how does he find his way onto this field to see that maybe he does just need to work through it? Well, I think it's, that's one thing that it's kind of a double-edged sword here because I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, it, eventually he's got to play and be able to prove it, right? Um, but I also think that you know, we can't sit here and praise the Titans for being a meritocracy and saying, well, you know, they're not, they're not going to give you anything based off your draft position or your contract. You, if you're not the best player, you're not going to play. And then also say they need to shoehorn Caleb Farley in there because he was a first round pick. Like he hasn't done, he hasn't shown anything when he's been in the games to make you feel like, okay, well, this guy needs to play more. Um, and I'm assuming based on, you know, them not playing him right now that he's not showing anything in practice that's telling them that they need to play more. So like if Molden, once Molden's back, I, I don't think Farley's going to play on defense <laughs> outside of injury, um, yeah. because it, it's going to be Molden in the slot and McCreary and Fulton out wide. And, and frankly, it should be, uh, at this point, like Molden despite being a, a pretty limited player in, in some capacity was way better, showed way more flashes last year than Farley has, uh, you know, either last year or this year. So to me, it's on Farley. Hey, to, hey, listen, to Molden got hurt several times too, but I get it. Molden is just a guy that, you know, at least gets it in between the ears. And I, and, and I think that's what this boils down to is, is what you're saying. And what the, the, the coaching staff has pretty much said is that, yeah, Molden may have gotten burned, you know, by Christian Kirk in week one, but he was in the right spot and he just got out. He was out athletic, but he does everything else that they want him to do. 
It's kind of like Jeff Swaim. Yeah, he's not fast, but he does everything that we want him to do. And Caleb Farley's got all the talent in the world, but doesn't play the way that they want him to play. And I look at it and I'm thinking, you know, that's a misevaluation at some point, right? There, there, there's a reason outside of the injury, sometimes out of side of injury, that these players do not get picked. Like we saw Matt Areza fall because a lot of teams knew, not every team knew, but a lot of teams knew about this criminal investigation. We know, we know that a lot of teams knew about the problems that Isaiah Wilson was having. Maybe there were issues behind the scenes of Caleb Farley just not being mentally there. But is it? Can it be because of the lack of experience at the position? I mean, I, th- I think that has to be a part of it, right? I mean, the guy has played. I think you know, I counted like 140, 150 snaps uh, in three years. I mean, that's nothing. And and obviously, we know the context of him, like what what he did at Virginia Tech. That has to be a part of it. Like, you so just don't... it's a misevaluation by John Robinson to think that they're going to be able to get something out of him, right? I mean, like. Well, I think I think what what Robinson was going for was very clearly he was hoping that Farley would be cornerback Jeffrey Simmons, right? Um, right. Guy that that fell in the draft for injury concerns primarily, I think, um, and but was clearly a, a supremely talented guy physically that maybe you grab you know later than he would have gone otherwise and can develop into a star. The problem is that Jeffrey Simmons was a fully developed game wrecker. Um, who destroyed people at Mississippi State um, and would have been like possibly a top five pick, if not top two or three, had he not suffered that ACL injury right before the draft. Um, so Farley was talented, but but you know not quite the level that that Simmons was. And then you bring him in and he gets hurt again. So like, you can't help that he got hurt again. I I get that. That's, that's kind of part of it. You know, it's baked into the risk of, Hey, you're drafting a guy that's shown to be injury prone in his college career and he gets hurt again. That's kind of part of it that you got to take that lump. But to me, it's just, it's a misunderstanding of their window more so than anything of, if this team, if you were ready to compete with this team to go after a Super Bowl, which they said that they were when they made the Julio Jones trade the next year, right? So you draft Farley in in twenty. Well, no, it's the same off season, right? So yeah. they drafted Farley and then they traded for Julio. So that same off season, you said by trading for Julio Jones, you said this is our year. We're going for it right now. That doesn't match up with drafting Caleb Farley coming off of a back surgery not being a super experienced guy. So like, that's my biggest problem, honestly, with the pick, like I can understand the, the idea of taking him. Cause a lot of, a lot of people love the pick when they made it. Um, and of course it's easier to scout in hindsight, but uh, you look at, you look at Farley and the Jones move and they just don't mesh to me. Like it doesn't like, are, are you going for it? Or are you not? I mean, and I get like that, the draft is really about the future and everything like that. Something I always preach, but you know, Greg Newsom would have been a more NFL ready corner that they could have plugged and played, you know, right away. Um, and that could have helped them last year rather than Farley, who, you know, wasn't able to help them and isn't able to help them so far this year. So I think it's just a, a do you know what you're 
Like, do you know what your window is? Do you know what your actual goal is here? And does it match up with all of your decision-making? Because to me, those two moves just don't match from a mindset standpoint. And, you know, the, the risky picks are not, uh, you know, he's one of three so far on, on risky picks, which, um, you know, isn't a great hit rate for a first round. Okay. Likelihood that Caleb Farley turns into, let's say, let's say that he turns into like a uh, Janoris Jenkins, a Logan Ryan kind of cornerback, a, a good second, third cornerback that can be regularly used in a rotation at this point. I mean, factoring in the odds of him being hurt, you know, chronically, um, maybe 20, 25%. Chances uh, that he has a Jeffrey Akuda or Christian Fulton like resurgence where maybe this year is a wash, but next year is the year. I mean, I could, I could see that. I, I think it's. Do you think, do you think he'll still gain valuable experience by sitting on the bench? I mean, that, it's, he's not going to gain any experience, game experience by sitting on the bench, but going through the install sitting in the film room every week, you know, being able to, to be a part of the practices, that's all valuable to him. Uh, even if he's not necessarily playing on Sunday, because I think a, he's got to get comfortable with that knee. And I think that's only going to come with time. And, and it's certainly something that he can work on in the weight room and in practices, trying to get more comfortable planning and driving off that knee. Cause that's something that has legitimately shown up on tape that he is just not fully comfortable planning and driving off of that knee, which makes it hard when you're trying to cover a guy and you've got to be able to react to his movements immediately. You don't have time for a gather step in the NFL. Um, And I think that's part of this. Um, So I think physically he'll get better. And I think mentally he'll get better too, even if he's not playing. Um, But eventually, yeah, if this is partially a confidence issue, the only way he's going to really feel confident is if you get get him out there and he makes some plays. And he he hasn't made any plays. Like, what's yeah. the most what's the most positive Caleb Farley play you can remember uh, from a real game, not not preseason? Yeah, there is exactly. One, so, well, before we get into the Colts preview, real quick, don't miss Music City Audible with Justin Mello and Justin Graver, and Second and Victory with Austin Nelson, Brett Batchelor, and Chris Carter, and the Mike Herndon show, which is all on Thursday. And don't forget, you have to have the insider pass to listen to the Mike Herndon show and on Thursday and be able to watch it because you do videos for it too. So it's audio and video only for Broadway insiders, the Mike Herndon show. And don't forget as this podcast and you're listening to this podcast or watching it on YouTube, you can head over to paulkarski.com and read Mike's latest article which is going to be kind of a mixed bag of uh, Titans, Titans information for you to digest that came out of the game on, on Sunday versus the Raiders. So that's going to be already available by the time you're listening to this more than likely at paulkarski.com. Mike, the Colts versus the Titans. To say that this is a must-win game in week four may seem silly, but I feel like it's a must-win game for the Tennessee Titans because you're playing your first divisional opponent of the season, and you're going to have a quick turnaround to play them again. And the Colts are not that good. I know that they beat the Chiefs, but if you go and actually paid attention to that game, the Chiefs gifted them the game. 
Matt Ryan has been horrendous. He's been a fumbling machine, a turnover machine. It doesn't matter what weapons he has there. He is going to be fumbling and all that stuff. Jonathan Taylor had one of his worst outings of the year. Mike, how is am I crazy to call this a must-win game? No, you're not crazy because frankly, the Jaguars being two and one and the Colts now being one, one and one. You don't really want to fall a game and a half and really, you know, with the tiebreakers and everything, like two games behind the Colts, uh, which you would if you lose this game. Um, and you certainly don't want to fall two games behind the Jaguars already as well, which is is possible um, if the Jaguars are able to win this week as well. But it, the, the Titans need to, to pull this out somewhere or another because this is an opportunity for them to kind of steady the ship a little bit. It feels like, you know, you've got after this, you've got the commanders uh, who look awful right now. Um, and uh, that's a home game, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's back at Nissan stadium. And then you've got your bye week and then you've got the Colts again back at Nissan stadium. So this next three game period is an opportunity for you to write the ship. So if you want to get out of jail from this zero and two start that they dug themselves into, um, you know, mostly losing to the Giants. Like everyone can forgive the Bills' loss, even as as ugly as it was. Um, but if you want to get out of jail, you've got to win these next three games, in my opinion. And then all of a sudden, you're you're right back where you want to be. You're probably first place or tied for first place with the Jaguars, and and the Colts are way behind you. And the Colts are done. At frankly, at that point, if they lose both of these Titans games, so. This is your opportunity. Go go take it. Go beat the Colts. The Colts are vulnerable. The Colts stunk against the Chiefs. I mean, that, that, that's one of the flukier. The Chiefs wins. went too conservative. And and in all honesty, they missed two kicks. They, you know. When, you could talk about this team being conservative on a regular basis, but other teams make stupid mistakes and are conservative as well, and they'll lose a game. And that was the Chiefs. And Mikey, you know, everybody's been hitting home the second half woes and all this stuff. And I know that your uh, article tomorrow, our article today uh, is going to be about uh, talking a little bit about that. What would you rather see? A little bit of a sluggish start, but a more complete game or just go up really big. And then if as long as you win, we can stomach another second half meltdown. At what point? Do, do, does the second half have to kick in before it's actually a curse or a, a something that you can't escape? Yeah, it would be nice to change the narrative just from a standpoint of, you know, it, the 50, what is it? 57 to seven. They've been outscored in the second yeah. half or something so far. It's, which is awful and, and completely scoreless in two games. It, and it's completely backwards from what, most of the Mike Vrabel era has been. So I don't think this team suddenly became unable to adjust or, or figure teams out at the half or, or anything like that. And, you know, I I know, uh, yeah, Titan stats, our guy Wes uh, tweeted out some of the Derrick Henry numbers and, you know, maybe the, the like cumulative effect of Derrick Henry is, is not quite as, you know, potent as what it it once was. Um, But I still think, they're they're an effective team running the football usually in the second half. I think that becomes more pronounced later in the season, honestly. Anyway, so the fact that 
the last two years it wasn't the case but that only captures early season stuff because of when henry got hurt and everything that probably plays into it too so I, don't, I really don't even care that much about the the halftime narrative i would more so rather just see it go away because i, I don't think it's that important frankly i, I think it's it's a fluke that you so you think it's a fluke even though that uh, the, under the Todd ta- Downing era it's been proven that it's a fact so far i mean again we're we're talking about you know and i'll have some stats for this in my article but when the titans get up big in the first half they have not been a chronic choker they haven't lost many of these games now some of them may have been closer than what you would have preferred but they haven't really choked away many games that they were up big in so you're so, okay with it as long as it's a win as long as it's a win yeah i mean it's fine i you, but I, do you like, think that's what other teams do like other winning teams like don't don't you see teams when they get a lead just keep on pressing on and on and on i mean you saw the bills do it to you just a couple of weeks ago i mean to me i feel like that kind of separates the the haves and the have-nots when you get into playoff time, when you have a killer instinct, a killer mentality that you've ingrained in your team. I don't feel like this team has that, and I would like to see that against this inferior Colts team, right? The Colts are really just as bad as the Giants. So there's, I mean, that this is a team that you should be able to go in and you should beat by 20 points. If you get up by 20 points in the first half and then you end up in the second half, you know, just winning by three points, to me, that still is a bad thing. It's a win, but it's a bad thing for your long-term prospects, I guess I should say. I mean, I look, in all in a perfect world, I would certainly prefer for them to have a killer instinct and blow teams out when when they're when they're up big, finish it and blow them out. Um, but I I frankly I just don't see as long as they're winning the game, and they have been consistently during the Vrabel era that that loss to the Giants was very very rare uh for this team during this era as long as they're winning the game that's what that's what matters at the NFL level there's style points are out the window it's it's go win the game and look sometimes like you could argue that trying to be more aggressive and really step on the throat could be a more effective way of of winning the game but the Titans way of doing it has been very good uh, during the Mike Vrabel era and and you know I I'm not I'm not going to complain too much about wins because I know how hard it is to win in this league and you see it every week you know the Chiefs getting beat by this terrible Colts team or the Bills losing to a Dolphins team that had no business beating them frankly um, it happens every week and you've got to take the wins where you can get them Okay, let's do a little rapid fire going around the AFC South. We'll also we'll stick with this Colts game. If the Colts win on Sunday versus the Titans, how do you feel about the Titans and how do you feel about the Colts? Uh, I guess it would depend a little bit on how it looks, but uh, I would feel like the Titans are not a playoff team 100%, and I would feel like the Colts are still probably Shitty. not a playoff team. <laughs> It doesn't change your view of the Colts. It just makes you not want to be on Twitter for a couple of days, right? No, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The the Jags are for real. I, I think they're okay. I think they're for real. in the fact that I think they're better, uh, they're, they're better than they were last year. They, they're, they look well coached, like what you would have expected from Doug Peterson. However, 
I don't think they're quite as good as what they're being made out to be right now. Some people are saying they're like a real Super Bowl contender and all this stuff all of a sudden. Oh, I've seen their players have now started talking shit and creating little videos and saying, oh, you can doubt us if you want to. And I'm like, oh, kiss the death. Kiss the death, you idiot. I mean, listen, the Chargers were playing without like three of their best four players on both sides of the ball for most of that game. No Keenan Allen, Rashawn Slater left with an injury that ended up being season ending. They were without their all pro center, Corey Lindsley. Uh, they were without uh, Joey Bosa went out early. Yeah, Joey Bosa went out early. Kenneth Murray got hurt. JC Jackson missed the entire game. Uh, Justin Herbert was playing with rib cartilage tears that's like seven of their probably 10 most important players either out left the game or playing severely hampered. It, it was an impressive showing by the Jaguars in that like anytime you blow out an NFL team, I think it's impressive, but the chargers were not the chargers that, that was not them going and beating the chargers team that everyone was picking to be like a super bowl contender this year. That was some like neutered version of that chargers team. And I, th- I think we, we should pump the brakes on the Jaguar super bowl parade until we see what they look like against the Eagles. Now, after that, they play the Texans, the Colts, the giants, the Broncos and the Raiders before they play the chiefs. Man, Those are like so, all <laughs> really winnable games for this team. It feels like the Jaguars being something like seven and three uh, heading into their bye is very much in play. So I don't think we should write them off as a AFC South contender because I think they really are an AFC South contender, but I don't think they're like 38 to 10 good. Yeah. Uh, Skipping over the AFC West, are they the most overrated uh, conference that you've ever seen in football? (laughs) It's certainly trending that way because Russell Wilson looks like a total disaster. I can't imagine how bad Broncos fans feel right now. Having sent... What what was the the price tag? Two oh first, two seconds. Uh, like several young players, and uh, I think maybe one other pick. They, they sent Drew Locke. They sent um, they sent Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, and Noah Fant, and two first round picks, two second round picks, and a fifth round pick, which was the twenty twenty two. Three of those were in twenty twenty two. So they're still gonna have to give up a first round pick next year and a second round pick next year. Good Lord. Yeah. Imagine giving up all that and your team's averaging like 12 points per game so far. Um, the, the Broncos are not good. Their defense is good. Their defense is very yeah. good. Um, their offense is atrocious. It, it is a train wreck to watch. Um, and I don't know that it's going to get a whole lot better, frankly, because I, I, I think Russell Wilson might, may just be toast, honestly. I, I think he's been trending down for several years now and you know I, I think he may be done um in that contract they just gave him to yeah. by the way well, which that, was that ridiculous all time bad by the broncos yeah. um but i think the chiefs are still good they're they're they've got some flaws they're, too yeah, though they're beatable he started to feel some of the tyreek hill absence in this this last game where they just weren't able to move the ball quite as well um they lack the kind of explosion that they, they normally had with him. Um, and then Chargers are already too hurt. Charger, Chargers aren't going anywhere. Uh, and the Raiders, frankly, the Raiders, I wouldn't be surprised if the Raiders kind of got back in the division a little bit just because those the, the Broncos and Chargers, I think, are heading the wrong direction. 
Um, but the Chiefs are going to win this division by two or three games, and and they'll be sitting Patrick Mahomes in week 18 like they always do. Who will be the first head coach fired? Because I want to put money on Josh McDaniels. <laughs> oh, God. Um, who NFL-wide, first, first uh, head coach fired. Because they're the only team without a win which i'm surprised because i thought the new york jets uh didn't have a win what game did the jets even win oh they won that browns game that, oh, that crazy right. browns game where they came back so i i think first head coach fired i'm gonna say well cliff kingsbury is a good good option well, they Matt just gave Rule. me an extension nah, i don't that doesn't matter you don't that think it matters no if, if they go downhill i think kingsbury will get canned um there's some brandon staley buzz out there the the whole the reports about him losing the locker room and all this stuff and now they're all banged up and hey if they're one in you know eight sitting there you know mid-season and and everyone had coach of the year candidate brandon staley people tried to tell me last year i said give me a fucking break on that it's mike rabel and maybe Matt LaFleur would be your other case. But it is definitely never Brennan Staley last year because he neutered Justin Herbert. And now they're risking Justin Herbert to play all game when they're getting blown out. It's ridiculous. And the, the media took him to task on yes in on Monday's press conferences. And they did a really good job holding their coach accountable. I've been a long time since I've seen a NFL media as a group, a team's media core, really go after their coach because you can tell that the media obviously really loves junk players, but they know that what he did was stupid and reckless and could have really hurt Justin Herbert's career and their their long-term outlook as a franchise in general. It's a ridiculous thing to to do that to Justin Herbert and make him play the whole game, regardless of if he wants to go in or not, and to let him get ejected by that freaking doctor that almost killed Tyrod Taylor? Give me a break. This is ridiculous. Yeah, the, the Chargers are a, a, a slow-motion car wreck right now. Um, what about Frank Reich? Do we think Frank Reich? Uh, I, I think that? Frank Reich would ha- – would, I, I would be surprised yeah, yeah, because the way that Jim Ursay just looks after these losses and embarrassing losses, and they have to know that, look, Frank's not the quarterback guru they thought he was, and they put too much emphasis on 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 the quarterback position, but in the wrong way, and part of that is because Frank's probably saying, oh, I can work with this. You know, sometimes your coaches got to be honest with your GMs and say, no, don't get that player. Yeah. Uh, listen, uh, Colts next four. They host the Titans. Then they're at Broncos on a short week, which is really tough traveling two mile high on a short week. Then they come home, host the Jaguars. Then they're at Tennessee. If they lose, let's say they lose three of those four and they're two, uh, two, four, and one uh, after after seven weeks. Does it start to heat up on old Frank? Well, it has to because technically more than likely because you've only won one game, right? So if you lost three, then you probably dropped two division games, right? So you may win the Jaguars game, but that means you lost two to us or you may lose both to the Jags and split with us if you lose three of those games. Yeah, I think he's out. 
because then yeah. you you've sealed your fate that you are not going to be able to win this division. Yeah, I agree. Well, that will do it for us. Football and other efforts brought to you by Jaspers and Nashville. Two for one beers on Sunday. Head over there to Jaspers and Nashville and get you some beer and good food and watch Titans play the Colts. 12 p.m. I think they're, are they back on, are they still on Fox or are they back on CBS? I think they're back on CBS this week. Uh, they're back on shitty CBS, but that's okay. The TV, you can tell them to mute the TV and it doesn't even really matter. Put your earphones in, listen to some Mike Keith on the radio, some Titans radio with Coach Mack instead. Drink your beer, ignore your family, eat some food. Jasper's in Nashville. For Mike Herndon, you can follow him on Twitter at his stupid new thing. Uh, and then you can follow me on twitter at f words pod my name is zach lines this has been football and other f words and you have just been effed Broadway Sports Media Production.